Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah rabbil alamin. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla wa anta tajlul hazna idha shi'a sahla. Allahumma a'inna dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatika ya rabbil karim. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah it's great to be uh both live in Shido, alhamdulillah, and of course it's great to be back with you guys in Montreal. How long has it been there, Yusuf? Three and a half years? Wow. Awesome city, awesome people, mashallah. Awesome food. Oh. I just want to say that I sacrificed hardcore cocoa 70, 76? 70. 70? I sacrificed it straight out of the park, just sacrificed it. I said, I'm going to come to the class and prepare for it. And they said, no, it's the best dessert ever in the whole planet. Yani dessert of everything. And I said, no, LP comes first. I just want you guys to know that. Okay. I just want to tell you guys that, uh, I want to tell you that at home, actually, which means back here, that um, when I was, uh, when I, it was a very quick visit, kind of shock kind of visit. And when I was packing, I was literally packing, uh, you know, one or two kind of clothes here and there, throwing them into the uh, bag. And, um, <laughs> I was looking outside my own window. So I'm looking outside my own window and it's sunny, it's kind of warm, right? Uh, uh, you know, I, I could see that it was dry and sunny and I thought to myself, okay, I had a jumper. I said, what do I need a jumper for? So I left a jumper there and I had socks and I said, don't need no socks. I said, don't need no shoes. I don't need nothing. I just came in this and thought, and then when I get to the airport lounge, lounge, Danny, meaning that I've already now gone through, and I open newspaper, and I'm reading newspaper, and I'm you know just enjoying myself there, and I look down on the you know on the second page, bottom left, you see the international weather uh, forecast, isn't it? So I said, oh yeah, let's check Montreal. So I come down, Montreal minus 20 degrees, yeah. I said, what? <laughs> minus 20 degrees, and I'm getting much up, yeah. Got some last night. I died, you know that. I got, I got. Big D sort me out, he gave me his scarf. Have you seen his scarf, by the way? Have you seen his? Hold on, let me show you what kind of scarf this is. It's like that. It's like that thingy. What's this called? Infinity scarf. Yeah? <laughs> so it's like, it doesn't have a, doesn't have a loose end. See that, guys? It looks it's all one circle. See that? <laughs> and it wraps around, and it's pretty good, mashallah. Anyway, so, alhamdulillah, it's good to be back. So today, what we're going to do, inshallah, is that we are conveniently, for, certainly for you guys, uh, we are starting a new uh, sub-chapter, um, which I think is either page 3 or 4 in the English notes, uh, but I'll read it out to you for both the Arabic uh, text uh, and the English translation, and then we're going to Sharh Mumta as, as usual. I think everything is uh, is uh, running very smooth, uh, technologically, mashallah, I said, um, I've done a great job. So we will uh, jump straight into the text then. Um, and in the Arabic, uh, Imam al-Hajjawi, alayhi rahmatullah, he says, وَصِفَةُ الْوُضُوءِ أَنْ يَنْوِيَ ثُمَّ يُسَاهِ وَيَغْسِلْ كَفَيْهِ ثَلَاثًا ثُمَّ يَتَمَضْمَضْ وَيَسْتَنْشَقْ وَيَغْسِلْ وَجْهَهُ مِنْ مِنَابِتِ مِنْ مِنَابِتِ الشَّعْرِ الرَّعْسِ إِلَّا مَنْ حَدَرَ مِنَ اللَّحْيَيْنِ وَالْذَقَنْ طُولًا وَمِنَ الْعُذْرِ إِلَى الْعُذْرِ أَرْضًا وَمَا فِيهِ مِنْ شَعْرِ خَفِيفٍ وَالظَّاهِرِ الْكَثِيفِ مَعَ مَا سَرْسَلَ مِنْهُ ثُمَّ يَدَيْهِ مَعَ الْمِرْفَقِينَ 
ثم يمسح كل رأسه مع الأذنين مرة واحدة ثم يغسل رجليه مع كعبين ويغسل الأقطع بقية المفروض فإن قطع من المفصل غسل رأس العضو منه ثم يرفع نظره إلى السماء ويقول ما ورد وتباح معونته وتنشيف أعضائه So the translation of that entire uh, passage which will probably take us the next couple of weeks I think okay, um, is the description of the wudu is that he makes the intention first uh, then he says bismillah and washes his hands three times then he rinses his mouth and nostrils and washes his face from the hairline to underneath the two jawbones and chin lengthwise and from one ear to the other widthwise including any light hair and just the facing side of any thick hair and as far as, far as it descends then he washes his hands up to and including the elbows then he wipes his entire head including the ears a single time then he washes his feet up to and including the ankles if there is a limb which has been cut the remaining obligatory aspect of it is washed if the limb has been cut from the joint one also washes the head of that upper arm or the joint all of it then one raises his gaze to the sky and invocates makes dua with that which has been narrated it is permissible to assist one and it will available and it is also permissible to dry one's limbs so that's the That's the actual text. Are you still there? Uh, Shazad, are you still there? Okay. So, because the connection, it, it kind of went off for some reason. So, uh, you need to make sure that the YouTube uh, one was still connected to the people on the portal. Because I did see the connection just drop. Um, okay. So, that is... Now, obviously, what Imam al-Hajjawi is doing here is after he's already talked in a lot of detail about the obligatory aspects of wudu and then the sunnah acts of wudu and the matters of the intention and so on and so forth so a lot of detail over the last 20-30 pages now he's kind of wrapping it up so now he's kind of saying I'm going to put it all together obligatory aspects and sunnah, and sunnah aspects and start from the beginning and take you right down to the end and if you remember when we started this like I don't know, four, five, six lessons ago um, I would have said to you that you guys will obviously benefit much more by seeing me physically do the wudu. But I said I didn't want to. I wanted to go through the technical details of what obligatory means and how it's established and what it is, and then what the sunnah aspects are, what they are, and so on and so forth. And then Imam Hajjawi will actually come back to this. And then when he takes it from beginning to end, then I will show you the video of me also doing it from beginning to end. So probably next week or next week, week after, you will see the video that we recorded with respect to that, which is the entire wudu practically. Now, obviously, these are things which when you see practically, you don't forget, okay? And that's the easiest way of teaching. But academically speaking, we need to study the issues as well, such as the language uh, matters and, and, and so on. So, from a sharh point of view, we are on page 208, I believe. Uh, yes. So, if you go to page 208 of Asharha Mumta, then Sheikh basically says, وَصِفَةُ الْوَضُوءِ 
المؤلف رحمه الله ساق صفه الوضوء المشتمل على الواجب وغير الواجب. So Imam Sheikh Rasamin is basically saying, so what author is now doing now for the last time discussing concerning wudu is that he's going to now describe wudu and he's going to include both the wajib matters and the non-wajib matters. So he starts off by saying an yanwiya, meaning that he makes the intention and what did we say that the intention is a condition. Without the intention there is no act yani established. It's a prerequisite and that's because the Prophet ﷺ said Indeed all actions are by the intention. And I'm going to inshallah give you guys a reminder which we just heard from Sheikh Walid al um, who of course is here this weekend and it's important for you guys to pop along in, it's in Montreal and those who are in local in, in, in Ottawa and so on. Um, he gave a really interesting uh, uh, reminder, and I'd like to share that with you live as well. Uh, what he just mentioned over lunch. Um, so first of all, he makes the niya, that's a shot. Then he does the tasmiya, you send me. Yani he says bismillah. And what did we say in the humble madhab? Bismillah is what? In the madhab, it's wajib. Okay. In the humbly school, it is an obligation. What did we choose for our own our own uh, uh, position? We said that Sheikh Uthameen and the three Imams and the country scholars, even most of them, and certainly my own personal position is that the Bismillah is a Sunnah only. It is a recommended act. It is not an obligatory act. Okay. So that is the the uh, stating of the Bismillah. Then Sheikh uh, uh, says he he washes his hands three times. And the evidence for that we've already covered, and the fact that the Prophet ﷺ himself did that, so it has been narrated for him very clearly in Bukhari and in Muslim, and that is therefore a sunnah act to wash the hand three times. We discussed when it becomes obligatory. We said it becomes obligatory if one is waking up from the night time, okay? Sleep. Uh, sleep at night time because of course the sleep at night is understood to be the deepest sleep and the deepest sleep is when you do not know where your hands are touching whether it's filth or the body and so on and so forth and so therefore to wash the hands becomes a requirement we also added if you guys remember that the washing of the hands is linked directly to the point that the water that you're going to use would then become dirty if you were to put your hands in so the idea would be that the reason you're washing your hands is because your hands now are the the medium that you're going to use to do the rest of the wudu. So if your hands are dirty in whatever way and then those hands then go into the water which you're going to use to clean yourself with, it's dirty plus dirty plus the rest everything more dirty. So the idea is that the hands are washed separately, obligatorily, okay, and then they go into, and remember we said that there's no taps or anything like that, it's people mostly who are just kind of scooping water. So when you're scooping water from something, then it obviously you can pollute the water as such. It's just not nice and it's not right. Um, I did mention that my personal position is that in our times that's not something which is relevant, uh, um, obligatorily relevant. Still it's a sunnah to do and we'll do it. But is it an obligation when the tap itself is a direct uh, flow of water and it doesn't actually affect the, uh, the uh, you're not polluting the water which is coming before it? We said that yani, that's not necessarily the case here. In any case, in any case, it's a sunnah to wash the hands three times before you start the rest of the actions. Then you do al-madmada. Now madmada we discussed in detail, which is the the moving around, the tahrik al fil the moving around of the water in the mouth. The idea is that it's not just the entering of the water but rather something has to happen. For mother to be achieved, something has to happen. Now that something has been discussed and debated over by the scholars. 
Okay, there are a number of ulama that consider the madmada and istinshaq, yani which is to put the water into the nose, to be an obligation. We covered that over a number of weeks. I said that my personal position is that it is a sunnah act. It's a sunnah act, first of all, because you need to understand why is it that the scholars consider it to be an obligation. They did because they considered it to be from wujuhakum. They said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, wash your faces, which is a command, and therefore it's an obligation to wash the face. There's an ijma' upon that, that to wash the face is an obligation. But they then said that, okay, but what does washing the face mean? And therefore they said that the nostrils, the nose inside, and the mouth inside is also part of the face. Those who said no and said it's a sunnah, they said, yes, we know that the Prophet did it. But does it come under the obligatory ruling which is in the ayah, which is the real serious kind of hardcore command? No, because what is inside is not what is considered the face. And you know the face is, is called wajh. And the word wajh comes from wajah, meaning to face. And whatever is facing is what is obligatory. And what's inside the nose is not what's facing. Technically it is, but there's a barrier behind in front of it, right? So, and then the, the mouth, and then the teeth, and so on and so forth. And how far do you go? So I believe that the correct position, and I think it's the most balanced one, the most well supported, and certainly the position of Sheikh Al-Uthaymeen, um, in a riwayah, although it has been narrated, heard from him that he didn't consider it to be an obligation, and some, in one place he did. The point now is that our taught position is that it is not obligatory to wash the mouth and clean the nose. But it's a sunnah too, and you should. And the best way to do it, of course, is to give a full clean. And so therefore, that would include then trying to remove any uh, uh, morsels of food and any dirt or anything like that to clean around, to gargle if necessary. This is all any things which are good to do it three times likewise. Okay? What, are, what is the actual extent, though? Sheikh says, is it an obligation to actually make sure that the water is rotated, rotated, swirled, swirled in his entire mouth or part of the mouth? What's the actual minimal limit? And so the Sheikh said that the ulama, rahimahumullah, they said, He goes, what is actually an obligation of al-madmada is that there is some kind of movement. Yani, as long as something happens, if the water goes in and then goes straight out, there's a discussion. Is that enough or not? You know the classic example, you know the example I can think of straight off, you know where there's water fountains? You know when you drink those water fountains? You know when you press the button? And you know that when you're drinking, it doesn't all go in, it just comes, all comes out, doesn't it? Some goes in, some goes straight out. So this is, I think, a good example. Would, that, would you consider that to be rinsing? What do you think? Think about the process. You press the button, water kind of pops up, huh? and it goes in, and you, you're drinking as fast as you can, <laughs> whatever. And obviously, it's more than what's going in, isn't it? So then it just starts to come, just drip out. Now that water is almost literally going up and then down again. It's not like it's even going, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like literally just coming down. It's not like, so I, I personally think that, that would not be considered that the most least amount of swelling. I think there has to be you intentionally kind of give it the old, you know, got to give it something. Might be the old Indian head bob, it might just be a, the whatever, I don't know. But there's got to be some kind of movement involved, minimal. And what Sheikh says, he goes, وَهَذَا إِذَا كَانَ الْمَاءَ قَلِيلًا لَا يَمْلَأَ الْفَمْ فَإِنْ كَانَ كَثِيرًا 
he goes that uh, this is only going to work, of course, if there is a lot of water, because if there is only very little water, then it doesn't go anywhere anyway. He goes, there's got to be enough water to actually do some kind of movement. Um, in my personal opinion, I think that as long as, as there's some kind of intention to make some kind of movement, that does the job. Um, Sheikh says, question, is it an obligation to remove all aspects of food when you do the mud mother? Answer, he believes no, it's not an obligation. It is not an obligation that al-zahir, he says. He goes, what seems apparent to me is that it's not an obligation, because that would be another level of requirement. That would need another level of uh, of cleansing and rinsing and gargling and, you know what I'm trying to say? It would be contradictory to the original uh, position. He goes, okay. He goes, uh, next question. He goes, when you're doing mud mother, how far do you go with respect to making sure that the water goes to different aspects of the teeth? He goes, specifically dentures. Al-Asnan al murakaba Dentures? Yeah? No, uh, uh, meaning, uh, uh, I mean, huh? Fake teeth. Well, it's not fake teeth because they can't be removed, right? No, no. Al-Asnan al-Murakaba, I mean, this is obviously a modern-day translation, all right? There's no such thing in Arabic as Asnan murakaba it's, it's like a made-up word. Literally translated, Al-Asnan means teeth, Al-Murakaba means manufactured, which is a denture, isn't it? Shaz, denture? Bridges which, no, 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 not bridges which cannot be removed, murakab, yeah, dentures that can be removed, yeah. So, it's talking about that. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I know, like, you know, the Hanafis, even though it's required from them, but you know, we're packs, aren't we, right? So, when it comes to wudu, we go mental on that. I know my father has dentures, he takes them out every time. You know what I'm saying? Because, he's, he's, you, can, you can imagine, because obviously, dentures, they cover part, cover the, the palate, and other teeth, and so on and so forth. And for him, the idea, not just for him, of course, based upon many of the ulama who said that you have to wash the mouth, it's about getting water everywhere. And so therefore, if you've got dentures, then it's not going to happen, right? So take the dentures out, and then get the water around. So that's what packs do. And I guess it makes sense. You definitely get rid of all the food, and if it's dirty and stuff, then that would be the proper complete clean. There's no doubt about that. But it's an obligation. And Sheikh Rasameen gives the, the correct answer, and he goes, no, it's not an obligation. This is not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala obligated upon the people. I mean, Aslan, we're talking about the face, and now we're talking about back teeth now. Do you know what I'm saying? How far are you going to go? You know, this could really, you could really push it to another level, right? And once you start taking it to that kind of detail, you start to lose the plot. So, I think that the, the correct position, he goes, al-zahir annahu la yajib. Wa hadha yajib al-khatib. Yani, he goes, the example I can give, uh, he goes, it's not obligatory to take out dentures. Just go wash your mouth with the dentures in. Don't worry about the water's getting everywhere or not. It's gone into the mouth and it's been swelled and it's out. That's the job done. He goes, think about the ring. Now with the ring, he goes that, um, Rahimullah, he goes, we know that the Prophet ﷺ had a ring. But we have never had it narrated that he ever moved that ring or removed that ring. Actually, we've got nowhere that he removed the ring for Wudu, and we don't even have the evidence to show that he even, you know what you would do, you'd just move it up and down, wouldn't you? I don't know. Jones, yeah? Is that what you'd do? You'd just move it? Is that what you do? Or you just leave it? No? You move it completely, because you're a pack and that's why. <laughs> yeah. I would, you know, if I had a ring, that's what I would do. That's, but I'm blaming this because I'm a pack. <laughs> it wouldn't be for any other reason, right? 
But the thing is, is that if I've got a ring, okay, I am thinking now, obviously, of you know it blocking uh, 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 the skin underneath. Now, I'll tell you what's, what's interesting for me. That in terms of giving evidence, I don't think it's a very strong one because, as we know, and Sheikh Thameen knows far better than I do, that the stating of something not happening is not proof that it didn't happen. That makes sense? So meaning that the Prophet ﷺ not removing the ring or moving the ring is not does not mean that he never removed it. It just means that it could not it might not have been narrated. At the same time, at the same time, his evidence is to be considered because we're not talking about like us lot observing. We're talking about the companions who are observing, and they picked up on every single minute detail. You know what I'm saying? I mean, everything that we know about Wudu to the level of you know, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that Abdullah ibn Umar has narrated that when he used to wipe his head, then he would go back to the water and pinch it between his fingers, yeah, and just the water to then go and then wipe his ears with. So I'm saying someone who's seen that kind of behavior from the, uh, Ibn Umar, again, going to be seeing the Prophet move his ring, right? Especially when they've said that the Prophet ﷺ washed his hands three times, it was done like this, and this manner, why would you not mention the ring? Yes? And the ring of the Prophet ﷺ is a famous ring. So, uh, Shaykh Tamin, he goes, uh, um, and so, and goes, so in conclusion, think about this. He goes, never has it been narrated from the Prophet ﷺ that he moved his ring. Despite the fact that the ring and the skin it's blocking from getting wet is more an obvious thing to worry about than teeth at the back of your mouth with yani, some random denture. Add to that the fact that imagine if it was an obligation to keep removing your dentures, this would become very difficult for some people because some dentures are you know straight, easy out, and other dentures are probably some kind of I don't know, gotta put the key code in or something, I don't know. So is that that? there's some difficult ones. So that is, you know, hard dentist, you know that, yeah? So, okay, she don't need to answer that because we have Uthman in the back. He's probably going to get jealous and get upset that Yanis is answering for him. It's okay, Uthman, don't feel slighted by that, bro. Shad's most senior dentist. You trained in Slovenia or some bakwas, I don't know. He's British. Um, okay. <laughs> okay, so next then is, so we said that's the Sunnah Act, right? The uh, 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 in our in our position, the washing of the mouth. Istinshaq is now the the cleaning of the nose. Now the cleaning of the nose has two aspects. It has istinshaq, okay, which is the the sniffing, and istinthar, which is that what's that blowing? Yeah, blowing. It's the blowing out of the nose. Istinshaq and al-istinthar. These combine to basically. Uh, determine the completion of the cleaning of the nose. Again, there are some that are considered to be an obligation because it's part of the uh, uh, face. And there are a number of hadith. You know, the Prophet said a person wakes up, shaitan is in, the, in uh, this part, the nostrils. Okay, um, the shaitan's in the nostrils. And so, is that a spiritual meaning? Is that a physical dirt aspect? Okay, is it, it's a general idea? And I think, I don't know, you guys probably know better because you guys have AC all over the place, right? But I think with AC, it dries out more at night time or maybe just generally air, still air, or maybe is it that you breathe more at night time? How does it work? Um, when you're asleep, 
you snore because you're breathing through your mouth more? Okay. <laughs> Not everyone snores. Those who snore. Yes, saliva flow decreases, the mouth becomes dry because everyone's breathing through the mouth, right Shaz? And some people are able to uh, block off the nose and some people are, some people have a, sorry, if you have a blocked nose then you're going to have a really dry mouth because you're not going to be able to breathe through your nose and therefore you're going to be breathing through your mouth all the way through the night, six, seven, eight hours breathing through the mouth without any drink of water. You can imagine air going in, out, in, out becomes very, very dry. Now reverse the scenario if your mouth is closed. Yeah? So then you're breathing through your nose. And the same way, your, your nasal secretions, if they are then becoming drier and drier and drier as the air is flowing through there and not through the normal mouth, then you're going to have a nose which is more dirtier and so on in the morning. And so maybe that's an indication of the process to the washing of the nose. And the other nose best, there could be something in it. Anyway, the point is that is this an obligation? And uh, uh, Sheikh. Um, Sheikh Al Uthaymeen, he said, Istinthar itself is Sunnah. To actually blow out the water from the nose is a Sunnah. And he goes, There's no doubt, of course, he goes, There's no doubt that if you want to properly clean your nose, you have to combine these two processes. So, you know, we're not trying to belittle the action and we want to recommend it. But we come back down to the academic point. Is it an obligation? Our belief is that no, it is not. And obligation. Okay, what about then Paxiani, the way that we really give it some, you know, you know, like full behavior, this mubalagha, this exaggeration, okay? You'll see obviously the real man, you know, a real man when he's doing his nose, yeah, you know, he just gets that water and he sniffs it up. And you know, I don't know, some, I mean, me, I'm very sensitive. Any, no, any water goes anywhere near up that nose, I'm sneezing for the next 10 minutes. You know what I'm saying, yeah? And for other people, they can get yani, sinus issues and you've got yani, uh, illness, cold, and all kinds of crazy stuff happens, right? It's very sensitive for some people. So it's a rahmah from Allah that it's actually a sunnah act uh, according to our position. So the point is though, but those who are able to do it is good. And if they are to do it, should they exaggerate it? And the answer is yes, that they should exaggerate um, in it, okay? As the ulama said, except when you are, Fasting, as the Nabi said, except when you're fasting, because obviously when you snuff the water up in a way, it goes down and basically you swallow it. Same route, isn't it? Okay, it connects and then it goes down and khalas. And this is because of the hadith of Laqit ibn Sabra. Uh, Sabra, he said, radiallahu ta'ala anhu and exaggerate in the process of this yani, cleaning of the mouth and the, 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 the nose, very slipping up of water, except if you are fasting. Um, and he also, and then Sheikh also said, and of course, if you do have a problem with your nose, then you don't need to. Then it's sufficient. And he goes, therefore, the minimum that we expect from a listening child is at least the nostrils are cleaned. So just the, you know, the pack, they're not the pack, the modern, modern law version, yeah? The models who make wudu, they just get their water and just go. <laughs> so that kind of, you know, that kind of way. I can imagine Danish doing that, to be honest, just doing it. It will touch here and there. Hey, Danish? It's okay, bro. Uh, and, um, okay. Now, next is what? What's the next statement? And then he washes his face. Okay. 
And al-wajh, as Shaykh Al-Tamin, he says, he goes, that which is anything which results as anything which is facing, basically, is the face. And it's the most honorable aspect of the body. Okay, it's the facing. It's the, and you know, by the way, the, the, the concept of facing, the face itself is honorable. And the concept of facing is also honorable. Because the opposite is very disrespectful. If someone speaks to you and you turn your back on them, you know it's like, you know, what happened there, right? Like a person wants to disrespect you, that's the way you disrespect someone. And the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa has been narrated in Al-Adb al-Mufrad and in Kitab al-Adb in Sahih bukhari and in many of the books and the, 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 the key, the key yani, uh, codes of conduct that when he would speak to someone, he would always turn to them and face them because this is the way he would honor people. And he was sent, of course, to perfect good manners and so therefore we know that actually anything which is facing is some, something showing you respect um, and we can take that further in Salah as well but we will we'll leave that there for the, for the time being so um, so we need to wash the face it's an obligation what is the face let's define it it is from the hairline and that's the normal hairline the reason it's a normal hairline is because we have al-afra and al-anza and we have, you know, bald person, we have a person who has a fringe which comes down very low, we have some people who have tied their hair back very, very tight, so, you know, they really push it back, you know, like girls do, yeah? And they want to really get that kind of thing. Ponytail? Bun? Whatever the bakwa says, you know what I mean? Whatever it is. But you know when they really tie it and it's like, and literally hairs are popping out because they're being so pulled out so tight. So that's gone far too far back, and you're like on the head. So, so that's why some people they didn't like the, to use the word hairline because it can move and it's subjective. So that's why they said when you talk about hairline, you talk about normal person, or you just say the top of the forehead, what is to be understood from the top of the forehead. Um, so top of the forehead from the top side, and then uh, going down, al-lahyain, you know this is called the lihya. The beard is called the lihya, or lihya. And... It's called the beard, sorry, it's called lihya because it's on the lihyain. This is the lihyain, the jaw bones, okay? This is the jaw bone, that's the jaw bone. So al lihyain, the beard is what's on the jaw bone. That's why, of course, some of the, I'm not going to get into that, show the beard, but that's why people, they, they said it's permissible to cut, to shave or whatever else on the cheeks because it's no bone underneath it, right? And, and a lot of the fiqh when it comes to the determining of the beard and so on, uh, uh, is does go back to exactly what a lihya actually is, and it does seem that the correct position is that everything which is on the face is part of lihya, except which is abnormal, and anything which is, for example, if there was hair growing out here, for example, you know, so it would be permissible for me to cut that or shave it, for example. Cutting, you know, there's a difference in sharia between shaving and cutting, okay, and there's a difference, first of all, there's a difference between shaving and cutting, so this is a very long beard, it's permissible for me to cut it here, absolutely, okay, what's impermissible for me, according to the mass majority of scholars, and it's the correct position, is for me to shave it, but cutting, and to neaten, and so on, there's space for that, there's some space for that, we can, we can argue that it's sooner to leave it longer, but to make it short, and so on and so forth, there's space for that, amongst the, 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 the understandings, the actions of the companions, the positions of the scholars, especially from the sides, and, and so on and so forth, this is something which is permissible, the issue of shaving is a major problem, so that's the first uh, principle. Second principle is that there's a difference in ruling to areas where is normal and not normal. So, for example, when we talk about the ruling concerning the um, 
unibrow, <laughs> unibrow, trying to think of these modern words. We never had no word called unibrow when we were young, yeah? Just called the eyebrows, yeah? and the guy's got some next level eyebrows, I say. Yeah? <laughs> so this part here, okay, we know it's impermissible, again, according to the majority, to shave and shape the eyebrows, okay? Or plucking, trimming, and all of these come under it. There's a lot of question, you know, we're not going to get into that. But here, the ruling, the correct ruling is that this is permissible because this is not something normal. This is not normal, okay? And uh, when one when one thinks of the hajib, which is the which is the uh, uh, eyebrow, one does not refer to this position here. So anything which happens here, whether cutting, plucking, trimming, shaving, is not coming under the normal ruling. It's now removing the abnormal. And this is all part of the chapter of cosmetic surgery and the fiqh of the of, of cosmetics. And cosmetic surgery is a massive one. Subhanallah was um, just on the side point as a random tangent. We was discussing last night until late last night um, some of the chapters. I was debating. Sheikh, me and Sheikh, whenever we get together, it's nothing but just debate, 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 debate. And then, you know, he normally then creates his next project out of that debate, 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 debate. So he's now preparing a paper on cosmetic surgery, which, inshallah, you know, will be really beneficial. I mean, a proper one in Arabic, yani, uh, a proper bahth. Which looks at actually his title. We 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 determined the title last night. The Wabit, yani the No criterion. Boundaries. What's the Wabit, yani? You know the, the the kind of things which which determine what is what isn't what should be what shouldn't. Guidelines. I think guidelines. Okay, I forgot, I forgot the transition of the orbit. But the guidelines and the standards for basically cosmetic surgery, when is it allowed, when is it not allowed, when, like for example, uh, you know the majority of the scholars, and correctly so, they consider cosmetic surgery to be impermissible, haram, plastic surgery. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran says that the the changing of the creation from Allah, of Allah is from shaitan, obviously. Um, and the changing of the creation is meant to be understanding that you've got a face and you're not bright happy you prefer I don't know what do they do these days yeah I know my day used to be just lips making them big yeah now huh? nose jobs yeah nose jobs and now they do all kinds of crazy stuff now they want like big cheeks and um, big eyebrows and things no Your big eyebrows are back definitely I know <laughs> Not personally, no. Yeah, this is what I know. So this kind of, that's unacceptable. That's just for us. That's whims and desires. People determining things and some kind of nonsense, whatever. Okay. The idea of cosmetic surgery, when it is to remove an abnormality, for example, you have a growth here, for example, then that can be removed because you are got you are taking something away to go back to normative. So this is called uh, what did they call that? Norm uh, restorative surgery. Is it called restorative? I can't remember the name, but that would come under the chapter of cosmetic, but it would be acceptable. It would come under the chapter of cosmetic, but it would be permissible. Dawus, uh, one of the Imam al-Tabi'een, Dawus, his opinion was like next level. He said that, that the changing of the creation of Allah, that Allah has prohibited, just to show you the, 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 I just want to show you the breadth of Islamic scholarship. Okay, he said that the uh, the, the 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 meaning of of tahir, the actual prohibited changing of the creation of Allah that Shaitan boasts about, which Allah prohibits, is when you make yourself more uglier. 
Now, who on earth goes and makes themselves more ugly? And that's what we thought. Yani, who does actually go out and make themselves more ugly when they do cosmetic surgery? The first thing, of course, to take from this position is that, therefore, therefore, plastic surgery, uh, nose jobs, and these jobs would be permissible. Would be permissible because you justify to yourself that my people like, you know, big lips, and our men like big noses or small noses or whatever, and then you go and do it. Okay, so this is the most important lesson to learn that some scholars would allow that. The interesting point is that what uh, the, the interesting thing for me is that I actually realize now what he means. He means like you know you got these weirdos who you know do this to their ear. You know like they kind of stretch, yeah, it. Uh, stretch it and they stick big circles in it. That kind of nonsense. Yeah, that's just crazy, isn't it? I don't know what the reason is. They think it's cool and hip, and it's like you know part and parcel of you know culture and blah blah. And they come out looking really ugly and freaked out. Yeah. So maybe that's what it is. Now the the, 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 the the response to that, sorry, the response to that would be, well, hold on. If you're going to say that that is making ugly, he does that normally because his girlfriend does the same. Have you noticed? They you know the guy who's got all that bakwas in his tongue. The girls got the same. And the guy who's got all the earrings in his eyes and eyebrows, the girls got the same. It's like, it's like a, you know, they do it together. They're all tattooed up and all this kind of nonsense. You know what I mean? It's like that's what people do, and that's what I do. We're we're kind of you know, that kind of the punk kind of like generation of gothic or I don't know whatever what it is. But the point is, is people are doing it because they consider it to be a fashion. That's the problem actually. What is this? What the, 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 once you allow a subjectivity to enter, then anyone could then determine and define that. Well, you know, this is beautiful. This is beautiful to me and beautiful to my partner. You may think it's ugly. That's why it's much it's dangerous to go down this opinion. It's better to just assume that anything which is non-restorative, non-corrective, I think is the word, corrective. Anything which is non-corrective is impermissible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, okay. Where were we? Hairline to check. Yes, correct. Hairline from the top, Sheikh says, until... What is whatever comes yani, uh, uh, so basically to the to the jawbone and the which is the chin okay that in uh, uh, um, depth height depth length length what's the difference between length and height it is length I think it is length I think you're right it is length um now we're going to talk about the hair. So that's easy, obviously, right? Okay, the face physically is one thing, but actual uh, hair on the uh, face, what kind of aspects does that uh, include? Well, okay, um, we covered that in a lot of detail. Okay, go back to the notes and, and so on. We did say that when, this, when, the, when the hair is of different types, you either see the skin underneath or sometimes it's a level if you don't. And if we said if you can see the skin underneath, then you have to wash it. The hair and the skin gets washed. But when it's, uh, the hair is thick enough or long enough or whatever where you can't see the, the uh, uh, skin, then the obligation is to wash the outsides of it. And then there's two, so even that discussion has two aspects. There's the washing of it physically, the top part, which is on the face, and then this. Now this, what's this? Is this on the face? Is this on the face? No. no. This is what we'll call al-istirsal. Yani, al Well, that which is coming down, descending, 
the ends of the beards. Now, um, for these for these parts, Sheikh Al-Uthameen says, um, he said, وَقَذَّكَرِ ibn Rajab هَذَا فِي الْقَوَائِدِ Ibn Rajab, who is humbly, of course, okay, he said, let me just take it back a bit. He goes, because because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says it's the face which is washed, then the only thing which is obligatory to wash is that which is actually on the face. Okay? And therefore, anything which comes off the face, it has its own separate ruling. Ibn Rajab in Qawaid, he said that anything which is originating from the face and hanging down that is also obligatory to wash. Okay? Shaykh Ruthameen, he goes, you know, whatever the debate is, okay, it is no doubt al-ahwat wal-awla. It is safer and it's more rightful that anything which comes down from the, the jaw bones or the chin, tulan, yeah, and it comes down like this, it should also be washed. It should also be washed. Now that washing is only that which is facing. That would mean I wouldn't need to then wash the back parts of it and so on and so forth. Which is why, in my opinion, the correct position is, is that a person would wash the face, wash the beard, and then would run the fingers through. He would run the fingers. And we, we discussed this concept of, you know, tahleel, you know, of actually putting and combing the beard and, and the, the understanding of that. Go back to the lessons on that. Lesson 10, 11, 12, I think it is. Okay. And, and this being a, a good action. And it's not required three times. But uh, to actually comb the, 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 the beard itself is something which is a good and a sunnah of the Prophet and we should do that. We should maintain uh, that. Okay. Um, and then from, e from the ear to the ear. Okay. From the ear to the ear, and Sheikh Ruthemi also mentions, he goes, the white part, it's interesting because it is white, isn't it? It's this part here. You know the one which is in between the ear and the sideburn? where hair doesn't really grow, that part there is also part of the face. So Sheikh Uthameen would basically saying that you'd have to wash up to there. Yeah, and not just like there, you know, which would be like there. You'd have to go up to the edge, right up to the edge. Okay? And again, he says the evidence for that is because it's part of the face. It's part of what is apparent. It's part of what face is. Okay? And again, he repeats, and, and you would wash on the entire face, both sides and from this that way all hair which is thin you would wash the face and then anything else which is apparent the thick hair which is out it doesn't need to you don't need to go behind and in and so on it's the external facing uh, 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 aspects and he Sheffield then on page 212 he defines it he says thin hair light hair is when you can see the face the skin thick hair is when you can't see what's behind it Okay, um, he goes also, um, we need to make sure that we do emphasize the washing of certain hair on the face. So he mentions the eyebrows, they need to be wetened. Absolutely, when you wash the face, the eyebrows need to be wetened. Now, that, may, that has consideration for people who wear false eyebrows, uh, false uh, lashes even. Is it eyelashes? Yeah, okay, yeah. So, you know, eyelashes and the eyebrows. Okay? Ahdab is that. Al Hajibain is that. Al Aralain would be sideburns. Okay? Right? 
and al-anfaqa is this. What is that? Shaz, what's that? You've got a beautiful one there, Shaz. Grab it for us and show it to everyone. Stop laughing at him, boys. What are you laughing at for? That's what you're laughing at him for, man. You are dreaming. <laughs> I'm not dreaming. I've got a small one. I can't see it. Look. Now, what's that called? Anyone else? Goatee? No, no. Danish, what is it, man? I know that you you groom yours. Tell us. Bobby J, tell us what's what, what is it called, Bob's? Bob's has got a nice one, mashallah. Everyone tends to look at Bob's and does, does his best thing. Anyone give me a name for it? Soul patch. A what? Soul patch. A soul patch? <laughs> it's a soul patch. Is that some kind of Montreal bakwas? <laughs> This is an English class, by the way, not French for class, yeah? <laughs> Le Sol Perch. <laughs> yeah? We've got one? No one's got found no one's found a phrase. Anyway, but you get what I'm saying, yeah? That's the whatever that is, that's an obligation to wash. Actual wash. Not just wipe or whatever. Then that comes under the ruling of, of being washed completely. Okay? Uh, yeah. Okay, good. And Sheikh also mentions basically he says that the uh, ruling about uh, uh, about anything about any hair uh, whichever hangs down he goes that this would be basically anything whatever length you would go and you would continue you would continue to to, to wet it and to go uh, through it okay right then you wash the hand. With the elbow, what have I said in English? What have I translated it into English? Then he washes his hands up to and including the elbows. Now, obviously, in English, we have translated that. Okay. Last week, if you remember, those who were there last week, we discussed. Was it the week before? Um, we discussed the Arabic use of the word illa, which means to. Now, Allah subhanahu wa taala in the Quran, He says, "Wash your hands illa al-marafiq to the elbows." And so we discussed the Arabic application of the word ila. Does the word ila mean up and to the, the edge? Does it mean up and to and includes? Meaning to the actual thing that you mentioned. If you say up to the elbow, does that mean the elbow is included or not? And we did a big discussion in Arabic language using the Quran and so on and so forth. Okay? What did we conclude? We concluded that Ahl Sunnah basically say, or the majority of the scholars say, or the fuqaha, they said that when you use the word ila in this manner, it's always including the thing. Actually, the word ila changes to the Arabic meaning of the word ma'a with, including, so along with it. And so therefore, the reason I mention this point now is that when I'm translating in English, obviously I'm translating it by meaning to make sure that you understand. So I've written up to and including the elbow. But Imam al-Hajawi, he has used ma'a in the Arabic text, even though in the ayah of Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ila al-marafiq, ila. So Shaykh Uthameen wants to make a point of this. He wants to use this as a lesson to teach the people. He's basically saying, so what is going on? Why is it that Imam... Shazad said that it is true, it is a soul patch. So you are vindicated. The French have been vindicated because the the, the David Villa of our time, Danish, has confirmed it. I think this is what uh, they said. I don't know, maybe this is what they do in Barcelona. We have a guy from Barcelona there. You know, he actually thinks that he's like a Barcelonian as well. MashaAllah. Lots of love to you, Danish, bro. We miss you, man. Right, so the. Um, 
you see he goes مَعَ الْمِرْفَقِينَ تَعْبِيرِ الْمُؤَلِّفِ مُخَالَفٌ لِظَاهِرِ قَوْلِهِ تَعَالَ وَأَيْدِيَكُمْ إِلَى الْمَرَافِقِ He goes, the statement of our author is different to the statement of Allah. Allah says, إِلَى الْمَرَافِقِ Our author says, مَعَ But he goes, that's okay. لِأَنَّ الْمَعْرُوفِ عِنْدَ الْعُلَمَاءَ نَبْدَأَ غَايَ دَاخِلَ He goes, and the reason, of course, this discussion is happening is because of all what we discussed last week. The reason why our author has said, مَعَ is that he's just got rid of the entire debate. He goes, I'm not going to distract or allow my author, allow my reader to detract from my text by sitting there trying to work out what does ila mean, what does it mean. I'm going to save him that entire discussion. I will change the word ila that Allah uses and I will put the word ma'a because when Allah does use the word ila, he means ma'a. He means ma'a. And that is basically why the author did that and that's something which is permissible. That's something which is permissible. And it's an evidence. It shows that if there's a reason and you want to use an ayah and you change one of the words for some reason, that's also permissible. Okay, that's something permissible. But what's the condition? What's the condition? Common sense condition. Mm, well, you definitely changed the meaning, haven't you? Of course you've changed the meaning. What would the condition be? Not necessarily. More accurate than that. The condition would be that if you are using it, that the other person doesn't believe that to be the ayah of Quran. That would be the condition. Meaning that person shouldn't be in any confusion that you know that you have changed the Quran or something like that, or the Quran was a mistake, or you got the right one, whatever. Yani if you 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 change it and it's clear and it's not confusing and so on, then that's something which is a uh, something which is permissible. Now. Uh, we discussed the different ayat which establish the word ila to mean with. Sheikh Uthameen uses another example. He goes, some of the scholars, they said, in Surah Al-Nisa, okay, which is don't eat your, uh, literally translated, it means don't eat your wealth to their wealth. Okay, ila, to their wealth. But Sheikh says, actually, you know, I, I'm not too sure about this using this as an example. It's not a very good example because when you read the entire ayah, and give to the orphans their money. Okay, so this is a situation where you have you've been put in charge of the wealth of an orphan because he's young, and you're now dealing with their finances. Okay, so you now are going to be doing what's the, in their best interests. Now, of course, you will see this kind of concept repeated in the Quran many times, the Nisa and so on, because as you can imagine, they're defenseless, aren't they? And so therefore, the fitna of money, you've been given a lot of access to someone's money, and then you're going to start taking a cut, a bigger cut, you're going to start looking for your own interests. You can use money, maybe even investing for that person, but building up credit for yourself. You can abuse a person. Do you know what I mean? person says, I'd like you to invest some money with me. That's the most honest person there could be. He goes, you know, invest some money with me, and 100,000 dirham. And you go and you use the orphan's money to invest with him. No, you don't nick any money or take a cut. But you've made yourself a line of credit with this guy, haven't you? This guy that you've gone and invested with him, or you've actually got some kind of now relationship. This guy, I said, give me a hundred thousand, and I, he gave me a hundred thousand. He might give you preferential rates somewhere else now, okay? And you know, do you favors? That happened as a result of you abusing the other guy's money, not your own. This is a this is a potential meaning. Basically, don't abuse. And so, I'm, but the point I'm making is, it's very tempting when you have money and freedom and power of someone else's money, and they don't have any, you don't have any comeback. Man, you've got freedom to do what you want, you can abuse it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَتَبَدَّلُ الْخَبِيثَ بِالطَّيِّبِ وَلَا تَأْكُلْ أَمْوَالَهُمْ إِلَىٰ أَمْوَالِكُمْ 
يعني, don't replace that which is pure with that which is filthy. يعني, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given an opportunity here to help someone, and what you're doing is just, يعني, you know, you're making it even worse. You've got an opportunity here to help someone and invest their money good, and actually you're the one who's taking benefit from it. That benefit could be from, just as I just mentioned, or actually stealing it physically. So this is what the ayah says. Ilah here is basically you abusing that money at the same time. All right, uh, meaning you are basically turning it as if it's your own money. The way you're treating it is like as if it's your own. I'll just take a cut here because it's my money. I'll take this and uh, if I'd make a loss, well, it's my money. It's this kind of attitude to someone else's, else's amana. Remember when you, remember even in our culture, when someone says this is an amana, it's always now kind of this is someone else's got to look after it. Do you know what I mean? So once you break that barrier between you and what you consider to be an amana, then you start to lose kind of ihtimam and you kind of say, well, it's like mine. You know, like when you when you throw something, you don't care about it because it's yours. If it's someone else's, you're not going to throw it. Yeah, that's why it's yani, being added to your money, to your money. Ila amwalikum, and we know that the word to here is just basically means along with your money. It means ma. So we, we can establish that the the of uh, the, the the word ila does actually completely mean um, with including. Now here's a question. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, wash your hands, okay, ila al-marafiq. Now the word ila has to be there, because if the word ila was not there, and mirfaq or marafiq, elbows, was not there, then it can only be the hand. Because the word aidi, plural of hand, yet in the Quran has only ever, only means what? Hand. The word hand can only mean hand. Once you put the marafiq in and you establish the word ila, then we know now that there is a, an extension of the meaning of the word hand. Now, if the word um, ila is there, all right, what does that suggest to you that the beginning point is? Like, it's now time to wash my arm. Here, we're now going to wash our arm. What do we know as sunnah? To wash it three times, yes? What else is the other sunnah? Right, good. Right before left, three times whatever. So now let's ask the third question. Where do you start washing the arm? So, so, so first of all, sorry. Let me just start. Let, let me just make sure that everyone knows that to wash the arm means from the fingertip to and including the elbow, meaning just starting into the upper arm. That's what you should wash. So my question is now: At what point should you start? We could have from the fingertips. We could have. Uh, when a tap turns on and you basically, you know, if you if you turn a tap on, if you turn a tap on, the nozzle is here, isn't it? Or the, 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 the spout, sorry. And your elbow is here. So you know that the natural second movement is to start from the middle. Does that make sense? Because your tap's there and then you just transfer your arm across, then you bring it back and then your hand. So actually the water starts there. So you just start washing there. And it's natural maybe for your hand to get a good grip of something and then start the process. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we've got three scenarios. One, to start washing literally from the fingertips. Second, to start from the wasatul dhira'a, in the middle of the forearm. And the third is to start from the actual elbow. That's the three positions. Question. What does the ayah suggest? Correct, correct. And generally, language, if it means up to, that's the end, isn't it? So, therefore, it's going to be the opposite, which is going to be the beginning. 
and therefore Sheikh Uthameen he says that it's, it's it, he goes even though there's no evidence and he goes that uh, 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 if you did that it's good. Then he asks a question. He says, this is of course a question because Sheikh Uthameen is very careful about bid'ah, very careful and it's very good because well, bid'ah is a disease and it can creep in so easily. He goes, what if someone comes and says, you know what, you've got to start washing from your fingers, meaning you really should. He doesn't say it's obligatory, but you got to, this is the way you, it should be done. What would we say to this person? Huh? Yeah, we'll say that, right? What's your proof? And he's not going to be able to show us any proof from the sunnah. What's he going to be able to show? His reading of the ayah in this manner. What do you think then? Do you think that's enough for him to... to, to you did as Imam, as Sheikh Al-Masameen says, he goes, yani, is this enough yani, if someone was, you know, kind of coming real down hard on this? وَإِن تَمَسَّكَ مُتَمَسِّكُمْ بِالظَّاهِرِ الَّذِي لَيْسَ بِالظَّاهِرِ فَقَالَ إِنَّ الْأَفْضَلْ أَنْ يَكُونَ مَعَ الْأَصَابِعِ مِنَ الْأَصَابِعِ فَأَرْجُوا أَنْ لَا يَكُونَ بِهِ بَأْسِ He goes, if there was some guy who really kind of took the obvious literal meaning of this ayah, then he puts in brackets, which ain't actually really obvious. Close brackets. So he's putting a little cuss in as well. Okay. He goes, he says, it's better afdal to start from the fingers. And remember that actually, that statement better means that he knows a better way to worship Allah. I mean that's what the word better means. And when you make that statement, that's an act of, in an act of worship, that means that you are bringing something new which would mean that you are potentially either establishing sunnah or the opposite, which is bid'ah. Now because the, the ayah seems to suggest it linguistically, Shaykh Uthameen says, I, I, I hope that there's not going to be a problem with that. You know he's not over the moon. He wants to say to you that you, when you wash your hair, you wash it how you want. It doesn't matter where you start from. Because if a person wants to come and say, no, no, brother, you need to start from your fingers because it says, ilal marafiq, all right, then I think that's fair enough. We're not going to start causing a, a fight and refuting the guy. We'll say, okay, carry on. And just to finish off, then inshallah, he's then, uh, then the mu'allif says, then he wipes his head, all of it, with including the, the ears, once. And of course, this is not washing. If it was washing, then this would be a mashaqa. When hair gets wet and it stays wet, damp, it you know drips water down to the body, yuck, disaster, you know, everything. So alhamdulillah, it's just the wiping which is, uh, 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 the, the wiping which is required. And he says, including the ears, and the ears have been established by two, by three ways. Okay, um, sorry, the um, the evidence, sorry, for washing, for for wiping the ears, is because the Prophet ﷺ, whenever he would wipe the head, he would wipe the ears as well. Secondly, the second evidence is because Allah has said to uh, wipe the heads, okay, and the ears are part of the head. So even if the Prophet ﷺ hadn't done it and shown us in his sunnah. Just by Allah telling us to wipe the heads, then the ears are included because ears are part of the head. And then he, um, and this is not this the third one that he mentioned, Shaykh Al Thameen, Alayhi Rahmatullah. May Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala reward him for this point because it's nice that he brings a, a spiritual metaphysical point in. He says that the ears are of course the tools of hearing, and the he goes it says and from the wisdoms and from the secret wisdoms of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala when it comes to the wudu, and we mustn't forget at any stage of course is that this is uh, uh, wudu is a spiritual act, it's something which is an act of ibadah, something which is rewarded he says that yani, what, what can't be uh, denied is that uh, uh, almost physically purifying our ears from the filth that is heard 
haram, that is hurt. That's one of the, 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 the kind of functions of wudu. You know how it is, you know that um, we know that the Prophet has told us in a number of ahadith that the prayer and the wudu, both of them, they act as expiators and cleansers, right, of the minor sins. So every time that you pray, and then the next prayer that comes, the sins in between are expiated. And likewise, when a person makes wudu, the minor sins are expiated. Another narration, with the drops of water that come off the body, the sins are dropping off the body. So these are very powerful spiritual tools as part of our day. That's why it's sunnah, when we talked last week about tajdeed al-wudu, the concept of renewing one's wudu, is a very big part of our religion. That it's not a case of, I've got wudu, I don't need to make it. It's, I've got wudu, I want to make it again, because I want to purify myself. Actually, when you look back in the books of the Salaf, okay, you'll see that many of the time they'll be making wudu from things they hear. They might be with people, especially, you know, the funny kind of statements are when people are walking around with, uh, and meet Shia and things like that. So some kind of rafid that kind of starts busting some lines, yeah, and some moves. It's a case of, me, you want to shut up now, I need to go make wudu now, okay? Because you've just literally just insulted my ears. And all the kind of kufri just come out with bid'ah that you just mentioned. You'll see many of the imams of the Salaf doing that. So that's like the kind of like the filth that you might hear from a, a dini point of view. And then of course we know that a person, when he is, I mean, when you when you look at the, the metaphysical aspect of water and the metaphysical kind of nature of wudu being drawn out and touching areas that cool you down. Shaitan, when he makes you angry, even though from a hadith point of view, we all know the idea that when you are, when you are angry, go make wudu. This hadith is not actually rigorously authenticated. There are many people that consider this hadith to be or not authentic. All right? Um, and a lot of people kind of made it a real big, yani, this is a definite thing to do. It's not necessarily. But at the same time, it's not also life and death. This hadith is not a hadith of aqidah. This is a hadith of yani, general action. And when you do think about shaitan, we do associate heat with shaitan, and fire, and jahannam, and so on. And he does incite people. He inflames their passion. He makes them boiling angry. You know, the, the kind of words of anger are associated with heat. And water is associated with calm. And earth is associated with calm, and cold, and tayammum, and turab. And Adam is from turab. You know? So when you look at the Qur'an in this more kind of holistic fashion, you will be able to see some kind of relationships with our surroundings, and the, the elements, and so on. And so therefore, when a person gets very angry and he goes mixed with all, he is kind of purifying himself away from shaitan. And when shaitan speaks nonsense, and lahu, and filth, and so on, then the part of the ears to be clean is part of it. And this goes back to what I mentioned last week. When we make wudu, it's got to be more than just a mechanical action. It's got to be the fact that we know this is, that the purification is so very, very important in Nadeen. We know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't allow us to stand for prayer except that we are in this kind of blessed state. We know that the, the angels make dua for the person who is in wudu. We know that the person who makes wudu in difficulty, like yani, in shita, like in this nonsense outside where we march, and yani, spring has officially started, and it's minus 20 degrees outside, then what's going on, right? That's no fun going outside making wudu. I'm walking around in chocolates, by the way, people are looking at me like I am completely insane, right? Okay? And I'm a guy who doesn't really care about what people think at all. Like, you know, my skin is thicker than most, all right? But uh, you know, I can imagine. I can handle the idea of walking around in chapel. I cannot I, I believe the idea that I'd make wudu outside, though, yeah? That's a bit too far. But of course, making wudu in that kind of weather and in cold water, or even when hot water is available, putting yourself through that mashaka is actually a rewarded uh, action. 
we know that the angels will testify for that person. We know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, will, uh, will turn that water and that action into some kind of shining. They will come as we mentioned a number of times, shining and bright and evidence. Their faces, the foreheads from where they washed higher, the shins and the shanks, yani which they washed higher, and the forearms, yani this part here, when the person washes and goes higher, they will be coming glowing and shining. So there's a very strong metaphysical, uh, spiritual aspect to wudu that we mustn't forget whilst we're going through all the dry academia and uh, and uh, so on and so forth. So um, <laughs> I think that we will stop there because we've gone over uh, an hour and uh, we wanted to do some Q&A and Fazad has decided to um, uh, bore the life out of everyone by telling us that the actual name for this little baby here is called Mentolabial, the Mentolabial Sulcus. So, Jazakallah that for that little gem of nonsense. Okay? <laughs> so, uh, okay, so we'll do some questions, inshallah. Uh, the first question, which is here, is Would having the top of the outside of the ear bone pierced be permissible? Would having the top of the outside of the ear bone Where's the air bone? There's no bone there. That's cartilage, isn't it? That's cartilage. That, what was that? This is cartilage, isn't it? So how do you pierce? How do you pierce the ear bone? Oh, this, that, that. So what's the ear bone? When they're saying pierce an ear bone, so is that a turned out person? I don't even know what they're talking about. <laughs> would having the top, this is what the question says, would having the top of the outside of the ear bone pierced be permissible? Just point to me, man. Right here. On top. No, not there. Yeah, that. 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 Here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for a woman, yani, this is part of the jamud, meaning a, a zina. For a woman, it is part of beautification. Okay? And if someone yani, is thick enough to think that looks beautiful, then yani, tafadda. Okay, this part of the urf, isn't it? Yes? As for, yani, you know, to stick something in there and then make it like that. You know, they stretch it and they, you know, what is that? Ghawgha, yani, yani. Juhal people that do things like that. You know, you can put your whole hand through. <laughs> anyway. Allah. That is, yeah, we discussed it earlier on. That is what we consider to be the major changing. Um, uh, da -da 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 -da. What if someone was wearing waterproof mascara or makeup on the eyelids? So that's what we mentioned. We said that yani, waterproof makeup needs to be removed. We mentioned that in last week's lesson. Waterproof makeup, lipstick, and so on needs to be removed. What the concession that we gave was that a person would, after their process of removing said uh, 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 makeup, they that there was. I, I gave the example. I gave the example that of lipstick. So when you have lipstick, which is waterproof, okay, then you rub it off. But if you rub it off, it doesn't mean necessarily that all the color goes. Some of the color remains, and some kind of strands or or, or shade will remain of some sort. But that second, third 
layer of the lipstick is not the impermeable part. Normally it's the full-on last kind of part that goes on which is the impermeable part which if rubbed away with the tissue will leave enough rawness or whatever it is, okay, even though color is there to allow the water to penetrate to the lips and the lips must be wetted. So the same ruling goes with the mascara and anything else that the outward layers of impermeability need to be removed and if what's left underneath is still a little bit but it does wetten the eyebrow okay and like meaning that a person tries their best but there's still still bits and pieces still left there of that mascara then that's okay because we understand that the major barrier has been removed and anything which is insignificant and insignificant is that which you can't really see easily you can't really make out this is something which is your the and which is hardened Okay, so that's something which needs to be considered. Um, does the ring analogy I mean the same as the earrings? Would one have to remove it? No, one does not have to remove the earring. One does not need to remove the nose ring. One does not need to remove the ring. It is good to make sure if it's nice and simple just to get the area wet, but nothing else is required more than that. Nothing else. And actually, the earrings and all these kind of things, they are pretty much covering what's inside anyway. It's not like covering it more like uh, uh, um, I think that they should remove those which are like a plate. I don't know what they're called, but you know what I mean, yeah? Huh? Clip-ons, yeah. So, I mean, you've got the earring, which is like a stud or the thing. Or it's hanging. If it's hanging, it doesn't affect anything, does it? Yeah, because it's, it's not. But if it's like one of those big plates and it's literally covering this whole part of your ear, I mean, it's a joke, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? So you'd get rid of that or whatever. I'm, I'm, you know, that's... Shaz, what's wrong, man? Do you need some help? How about shaving legs? How about shaving legs? What about shaving legs, Shaz? Yeah, just give me two days. I'm back here. I'll help you out. Don't worry, man. <laughs> I know things are bad, bro, but I'll look after you, man. Shaving the legs is permissible, of course. Obligatory for the women, definitely. <laughs> okay? We happy with that? The questions from the women. Oh, uh, really, Shaz? Yeah, of course they are. Yeah, trying to blag it, you see? <laughs> trying to get yeah, honestly. Anything from you guys? Yeah. We're gonna have our own little bit of Yanni, Shosha, and anyway. Yeah, um, if, like, with the wiping the head. Yes. If you have uh, long hair. Yes. Case, like the same rules for. The, the no. Hair. So, 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 uh, the asking a question that uh, with respect to the wiping of the head, and we covered this probably about four or five lessons ago, maybe, I think, with the wiping of the head and you have long hair, what is the understanding? We said that the wiping of the head itself is from the back to front is sufficient, or is good to go from the front to the back and then back again. And this is a complete sunnah, all right, okay? And we said there's a discussion, some of the early masks, and you start from the back and to the front, and this is completely permissible as well. And more than that, okay, we will say to you that by saying that what I just said to you, which is that any direction is allowed, my personal position is that any manner of wiping of the head is permissible. And that, that a person should use that in order to help them with the way that their hair is. Some people have got their hair which comes down, and if they go like that, then they're having you know, to spend 15 minutes in the bathroom afterwards or whatever. You know what I mean, yeah? Because they've ruined their hair and their gel and all that class or whatever, yeah. So some people, they, some people have got long hair. And that's going to mess everything up, like a woman, for example. And so from there, we would say it's allowed for you to go like this. You understand? And you'd go along the, the length of the hair. So this is what you'd do. 
And that's it. No more than a wipe. You're not having to in every single strand or anything, or touch every single strand. The idea is the head. Okay? So you go like that, and then you just kind of follow it down. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, so so we will cover this um, because there's a, the, the, the section of wiping over the amama is coming and the turban and the hijab. Uh, but I do believe it is permissible for a woman to either A, wipe uh, underneath her hijab without removing it and some part of the head is covered. But in my opinion, in my personal opinion, that then needs to be supplemented with the wiping of the hijab as well. Okay, is that what you also heard? Yeah. Yes. There's a mistake that people make, okay, because the Prophet ﷺ has been narrated that he was wearing a turban, and the turban, you know, is like a kind of cross there, and you've got a tuft of hair, hair there. And he wiped on the turban, the, the, the hair there. And that's why, like, in the school of Shafi, the Shafi'i school, they don't consider the, uh, the wiping of the entire head a requirement. They said that there's proof that one part of the head is sufficient. So we said the three Imams, and the majority of scholars said absolutely no, it has to be the complete head. And that this hadith where it says that he wiped his hair was because he, then he wiped over the rest of the turban as well. Do you understand what I mean? Okay. This principle we're going to come to in next week's lesson, the week waking up, which is what is the ruling with a limb and a plaster cast and a cut and a wound when you wash this part, that part, what happens to that part? So the wiping is what we're going to learn. So the same thing then with the head as well. So if you do to wipe over actual hair, then you would then go over. Now for the hijab, I believe it is permissible. Some scholars said that it is required a requires a real reason. I mean, it's safer always to require a reason. I think being outside is enough of a reason. I think the risk of someone walking into a bathroom or walking past door opening and so on, I think that's enough of a reason. So I think someone who's outside, it's permissible for them to wipe over their hijab. And at home, it should be something which is avoided because it's not like the hoof. It's not like wiping over the socks, which does not seem to have any restriction whatsoever. You know, like some people say that you should only wipe over your socks if you really have to. Well, there's no evidence for that. We're going to come to that. I spent a good session, a couple or two on that, okay? But when it comes to the hijab itself, there really is yani, no evidence, and you are kind of moving away from the basic principle. And it is a discussion. We will spend some time on that. Yeah. Had you mentioned that that part specifically just washing the hands was like not like a pillar? Of all? You mean wiping the hands? Did you see though? Did, did you see, did, did I mention that in one of these lessons then? You mentioned that you like, let's say, just wipe stuff out of the water or something. Yeah. That's good to wipe your hands and that specific Right, right. I think you're referring to, and I think we've covered that the first thing today, which is the washing of the hands when you wake up from sleep. Right, yeah. Yep, yeah. So that's the washing of the hands when you wake up from sleep because you don't know where the hands spent the night, yani, and that's that's a whole different kind of scenario. Okay? Yeah, yeah, that's separate, and the scholars, they put some made an obligation as part of the wudu, and the majority said it's a sunnah right at the beginning. Right at the very, very beginning of just washing the hands. 